Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 199. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray. And as always, I am joined by Phil from Blueprint MCAT, formerly Next Step Test Prep. And we are continuing our breakdown of Blueprint MCAT's full length one. Now, if you didn't know, you can get full length one for free by going to blueprintprep.com slash MCAT and signing up for all of their great free goodies. We are continuing our breakdown of the cars section with our third passage today. Phil, back for another MCAT podcast. How are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Having a good having a good weekend. I feel like like fall is actually here now. Um, oh, summer is yeah. gone. It's been pretty cold the last couple of days. Probably not for most people in the country. I know there's a lot of people dealing with fires right now. Um, yeah, and we had snow last week as we were as we're recording hey, this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Winters, winters there where you're at. Yes, Mother Nature was like, let's just skip fall this year. Right. <laughs> people enjoy fall. We don't want to have people enjoy anything this yeah, year. Yeah, not this year. <laughs> not this year. Yeah, no. Um, all right, so I'm excited to continue our deep dive into Blueprint Test Prep, formerly Next Step Test Prep, Blueprint MCATs, uh, full length one for the car section now that we're working on passage three if you're listening to this now and you haven't listened before go go check out our previous what couple dozen episodes breaking down the chem phys section and the first couple passages here in the car section uh and if you want to follow along you can follow along in our youtube channel the medical school hq youtube channel premed.tv where we're recording what we're doing going through these passages so with that said let's go and kick it off All right, here we go. Jumping back in after a couple of interesting passages. This passage three is a very abstract, right? (laughs) You can tell just from the beginning, looking at that first sentence, like, what is the point of history? I'm like, all right, this is going to be a very, you know, abstract philosophical thing. So diving right in, um, what is the point of history? This question has bedeviled any student who has ever fought off sleep while sitting through a dry history lesson. The famous statement that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it may be the most popular answer to this question in the public mind. However, 
And so this is sending off alarm bells in my head because we definitely have some contrast going in here. However, this quote reliably irritates professional historians who are reluctant to view their vocation as being reducible to a set of life hacks and pro tips. <laughs> Nonetheless, rejecting this view of history as an advice column with an extensive archive does not, in and of itself, articulate a positive motivation for studying or writing history. So there's definitely some kind of like stepping back this like abstract, um, the author's trying to figure out what's the point of history. We have some viewpoints of like the public and like history professors um and they're kind of in contrast with each other Re remembering as we're reading this that we're trying to figure out what are the different viewpoints and how do these people feel because that's what the mcat wants to ask about i look at that first paragraph okay the popular people just say you know those who like don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it the professors are annoyed by these like quotes it's like life hacks pro tips things um, the author still doesn't give his viewpoint, though, and so definitely still looking. So, in fact, it is not at all obvious how, on what basis, or for whom to write history. In some languages, a single term, such as histoire in French, can refer both to history and the grand sense of the term as an intellectual discipline and to narratives of events that take place in an individual's everyday life. In other words, history is a story, and historians are faced with a bewildering set of choices about what to emphasize. So, author's giving us a little bit more of his perspective here. An early approach was for historians to focus on the actions of individuals, typically famous or influential fi figures, in a generally objective way, but with some level of editorial commentary. The statement of Edward Gibbon, a pioneering historian that wrote in the late 1700s, that history is indeed little more than the register of the crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind, <laughs> reflects this perspective, but intriguingly opens the door for history to shift to a focus on the actions of everyday men and women. In the mid-1800s, the, mid the German historian Leopold von Ronck articulated the goal of describing history as how things actually were. And in the 1900s, historians belonging to the so-called Annals School expanded von Ranks focus on material realities, uh, realities to the past to explore the mentalities of bygone days. So we have a whole bunch of like examples and people here, lots of details. There's a good chance I'm going to have to refer back to this. I'm not, I'm going to try not to get too sucked in. I'm not going to try to like memorize what's going on with Leopold von Ronck and like what's going on with Edward Gibbon. Like, I can come back and look at this, but just recognizing, oh, there's a lot of different viewpoints on what it is that we looked at. You know, some people are just looking at the crimes, some are like trying to say, like, oh, this is how it actually was. Mm -hmm. And then we have even more broadly, historians such as Fernand Braudel have viewed history as primarily shaped by macro level factors such as physical geography and long term cultural and social trends, relegating short term political events to at best a secondary role. This framework has remained influential to this day, even shaping the now trendy field of big history that incorporates human history into the much longer story of life on Earth. So lots of examples, you know, people focus on different things. Um, we have these like three different styles. There's a good chance I'm going to have to come back to these um, for my answer choices. So I, hopefully as I'm going through this, there's a good chance I'll be highlighting those names, you know, helping me like separate this as we go through. Mm -hmm. Last paragraph, history is not written in a vacuum, of course, and historians often advocate ideological views of history with political implications. For example, presenting history as a rational progression towards a more enlightened state dates at least back to the Whigs historian 
or the Whig historians of 18th century England who deployed such arguments against their political foes, the Tories. A modern example of this framework is Steven Pinker's 2011 argument that violence throughout the world has steadily decreased through civilization and technological advances. Marxist historiography um, focuses on class-based analysis and economic history, sometimes with a scope limited to certain historical period, but sometimes with the goal of building a totalizing narrative of human progress towards communism that stands in striking counterpoint to the capitalist-driven progressive narratives of the Whig historians and their successors. Such perspectives raise the possibility that choices about how to write history are not, strictly speaking, methodological decisions. So I'm going to kind of like pause. We've had more just like details, the Tories, England, Pinker, Marxist. And then we have this kind of like shift here where we go into the like such perspectives raise the possibility. This is the author's viewpoint giving their kind of like wrap up of this. Mm. So such perspectives raise the possibility that choices about how to write history are not strictly speaking methodological decisions about how to investigate an empirical phenomena, but instead reflect our own values and goals. This may not answer our original question about the point of history, but it certainly casts a question in a different light. And so the author out of this whole passage is giving us these different ways that people look at history. And it seems like the author doesn't really take a hard stance at any point. Like what's the right way? What's the wrong way? Who's doing it well? Who's doing it bad? The author is just kind of saying that there's lots of different ways to look at history. And so I imagine that that kind of like big picture viewpoint, um, what the author's intent is in this case, just to like let us know that people can look at history differently. Um, that'll help us answer some of these questions going forward. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Lots <laughs> of lots of little details in there. Lots of names being thrown at us. Lots of dates being thrown at us. So this is an easy passage that I can see students just getting super confused and frustrated and and just wanting to move on. So. Um. And and a lot of times as students are going through this passage, they're trying to memorize all of these things. Yep. And I think that that is not a good strategy mm-hmm. because you'll put in so much time trying to like parse and understand and memorize all the different viewpoints going through here that you're not going to have time for the questions. You're going to run out of time there. And so then when you get to those questions, you have to rely on that memory. And that that's that's a danger because relying on your memory opens the door to misremembering or bringing in outside information. I much more likely want to get through those details quickly, knowing that when I get a question about those details, I'll come back. Um, And otherwise, I'm not going to get kind of like sucked in. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll kick us off here with question 14. The first question for this passage. In several cultures, the predominant view of history is that it is cyclical. This viewpoint would be consistent with the views of which of the following historians discussed in the passage? This is one of the Roman numeral questions, which we all have come to love. Uh, Roman numeral one, Edward Gibbon. Two, Leopold von Ronck. Three, Steven Pinker. We have answer choice A is one only, B, three only, C, one and two only, and D, two and three only. Oh, man. So the Steven Pinker one, I'll go back to that immediately. And the only thing really it mentions about Steven Pinker is is this framework and argument. Uh, oh, wait. The, so the the framework that he is talking about is this uh, rational progression towards a more enlightened state. That, to me, doesn't equal cyclical. And so I'm going to cross three off the list. 
potentially. Um, so that would leave us with one only, which is A, and one and two only, which is C. So let's look at Leopold, Leopold von Ronck. Uh, and he, just going back to that big thing, and of course, we, we could highlight these to, to bring us closer to um, or faster back to the things. Um, and his goal of describing history is how things actually were. Um, and again, that doesn't seem cyclical to me. But then Gibbon talked about history is little more than the register of crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind. Again, not cyclical. So I'm very confused about <laughs> none of these are cyclical. Um, <sighs> viewpoint consistent with. All right. So I, I don't know because none of those seem cyclical to me. Yeah. Well, the the first kind of look at Steven Pinker that you did, and I kind of did the same thing. Like Steven Pinker is looking for this like progression, right? Humanity is getting better. So that that very clearly is not going to be a cyclical view with this idea of like progressing. The other two are a little bit like they, they don't say like really obviously for or against. Um, and so that's something that can be like a little bit a little bit tricky. Um, so we, looking at this, um, we have some men mention here that the Whig historians of the 18th century England oh, wait, who, wait, 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 who wait. deployed such arguments. Yeah. Hold on. So, oh, wait, I, I'm just, I, there was one extra part to the Eb Edward Gibbon one where it said it opens the door for history to shift to a focus of the actions of everyday men and women. That seems more cyclical. Like I'm going to look at the past and shift my focus now. Potentially. Right. So with yeah. that, I would go with one only, but that's that's answer choice A. But go, go ahead and continue your discussion about the wig, the wigs. Well, so we also we have this kind of like idea of like the wigs that kind of shifted um, after 18th century. Note that the modern example is like um, these kind of like later ones. Um, I actually don't know if that helps as much because they do mention the historians of 18th century England um, and the Tories. And so if we look at uh, Leopold von Ronck, he's actually, uh, ignore this, because now he's German, I see, so he's <laughs> not going to be like the England. Yeah. But they do say that um, Leopold von Ronck is looking into this, uh, like he wants to know how things actually were. And historians belonging to this so-called annal school expanded this focus to the material realities of the past to explore the mentalities um, of bygone days. Yeah, of bygone days. Um, and so they're trying to understand the thought processes of this. Um, hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, looking at this, I think that so looking at the question also. In several cultures, the predominant view is that it's cyclical. This viewpoint would be consistent with this. So it's not asking who is arguing for it, just which of these would allow you to do this and be consistent within this framework. Mm. Um, and so really the question isn't like which one of these say that it's cyclical, which one of these viewpoints also works if it is cyclical, mm. um, which is a slightly different question. And obviously like the pinker one, as we mentioned, doesn't work with that. The Leopold von Ronck, just looking at like what's going on in people's heads at the time, that could be cyclical. Um, it doesn't have to be, but it could be, which is what the question asking, like, if, which of these would be consistent or fit within this idea? So it is actually going to be both Edward Gibbon and Leopold von Ronck 
um, because both of their viewpoints can exist in a, with a, within the cyclical view of history, but the other one won't exist or cannot exist. Answer choice C. All right. I, I'm going to flag that one and, and complain to the AMC, whoever wrote that question. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question. Def, definitely, definitely a tricky one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. 15. So which of the following statements most accurately summarizes the similarities and differences between Whig and Marxist history? Oh. Um, a, both are skeptical of the impact of geography on history, but for different reasons. B, both present history or both present history as linear progress, but Whig historians focused exclusively on non-economic factors, where Marxist historians focused entirely on class. C, both present history or both present history as linear progress with an economic focus, but within profoundly different theoretical frameworks. And D, Whig and Marxist historians are both concerned with violence, but Whig historians seek to understand how violence can be minimized, whereas Marxist historians attempt to understand how violence can be deployed. Oh, man. I don't even know where the Marxist stuff came in, but I'm looking for that now. So we know the Whig stuff is there. Yeah, Marxist was definitely mentioned in the last paragraph. Yeah, that's where I'm looking. And, and that's where the Whig stuff was mentioned, too. Mm-hmm. So these are the kind of questions when when you when you bring in this like whole new history and a whole new vocabulary of these different groups and people i'm like i how do i keep that going i don't know yeah i um, think it's particularly tricky because like karl marx is somebody that the aamc wants you to know for the psych section mm -hmm. so not only do you know something about this but the mcat writers know that you know something about this yeah. uh, if you've been prepping. And so that makes it a little bit dangerous because people will bring in outside viewpoints. And so there's a lot of like outside info traps in here if you're well-versed or have some opinions on Marxism and things like that. Yeah. So we have this one sentence here. It says Marxist his histography graphy, uh, focuses on class-based analyses. An economic history, sometimes with a scope limited to a certain historical period, but sometimes with the goal of building a totalizing narrative of human progress towards communism that stands in striking, striking counterpoint to the capitalist-driven progressive narratives of the Whig historians and their successors. So there's a, a nice little comparison there between Whig and Marxist. So both skeptical of the his impact of geography on history, but for different reasons. Um, I'm going to ignore that one. I think geography was mentioned somewhere, but it's not really the the point here. Yeah, it's not mentioned anywhere in relation to the Whigs and the Marxists. Yep. So yep. it's just kind of a trap answer there. Yep. Both present history as linear progress, but Whig historians focus exclusively on non-economic factors, whereas Marxist historians focus entirely on class. Again, non-economic factors goes against the capitalist-driven progressive narratives. Uh, mm -hmm. that the Wick historians have. So I'm going to cross out B. Both present history as linear progress with economic focus, but within profoundly different theoretical frameworks. So that potentially is a, a nice answer, the, the capitalist-driven versus communist-driven uh, frameworks there. Wig and Marxist historians are both concerned with violence. And I'm like, eh, violence really wasn't mentioned anywhere that I remember. So I'm going to go with C here. Yeah, Definitely. Um, just kind of like generally looking at some of these wrong answers, B, 
Like, even if I hadn't read the passage, when I read the answer choice B, I don't want to pick it. This idea of like Whig historians focus exclusively on non-economic factors and the Marxists focus entirely on class. Those are really extreme statements. It's possible for the Marxist historians to focus on class, but maybe not entirely. Maybe they've also got some other thing. Like they also care about the environment, right? Like then that's wrong. Um, So anytime you see those like really extreme statements, B is one that just like immediately kind of like rubbed me the wrong way and like the hair stood up on my neck and I'm like, I don't like that one. Um, I do want to point out D. A fair chunk of students pick D because um, because, you know, what they know about maybe they've been taught that like Marxism and communism that leads to a lot of violence and issues there. But that's obviously not in the passage. So yeah. if you pick that answer for that reason, you need to kind of hold back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. OK. All right. All right. Got one. Question 16, which approach to history would the author be most likely to reject? All right, so coming with the author's point of view here. A, viewing human history as a struggle between competing all-encompassing ideologies. B, focusing on cultural history and excluding economic history. C, presenting history as an objective compendium of facts. Or D, conceiving of history as a march towards greater autonomy and fulfillment. All right. So this last sentence or two in the, in the passage, such perspective raised the possibility that choices about how to write history are not, strictly speaking, methodological decisions about how to investigate an empirical phenomenon, but instead reflect our own values and goals. Um. man. So which approach to history would the author most likely reject? Okay. So that's the first, what are they asking? Okay. Mm -hmm. Not what are they going to agree with? What are they going to reject? All right. Um, So B focusing on cultural history and excluding economic history again, seems like the one that stands out the most. So we're like, well, he didn't really, the, the author, he or she didn't really talk about like, what their point of view is like, oh, we shouldn't focus on economic history because that's not important. The author just said in that last thing that history should reflect our own values and goals. And so potentially uh, economic history may be, um, may be important there. So uh, B is standing out to me. Viewing human history as a struggle between competing all-encompassing ideologies, I think, would potentially stand. C, presenting history as an objective compendium of facts i think would stand d conceiving of history as a march towards a greater autonomy and fulfillment potentially would stand so i would go with b here yeah so that's uh, like a good thought process <laughs> but if you look at this um remembering that the whole point of the car section is to see how well you understood the viewpoints of the passage mm-hmm. um they do talk about this kind of like struggle to look like ideologies they, t- they mentioned that in the last paragraph mm-hmm. um the cultural history and excluding economic stuff um they do mention you know looking at these uh the, like fernand Braudel looked at like long-term cultural and social um trends and like looking at those things and so there could be some things going on there with cultural history um a like viewing human history as a struggle we talked about that d conceiving of history as a march towards greater autonomy that's mentioned they just never mention c um and so the author 
like talks about all these people with these different viewpoints and kind of get the idea that the author thinks that there are lots of ways to try to tackle history. C is just not listed as one of those. Um, and so the author, because the author is trying to say that there's lots of ways to look at history, the author could do each of these, I feel like. But just presenting a list of facts is not something that's mentioned in the passage. That might be what you think history is, most people's like viewpoints of history. But that's not really mentioned in the passage. And as such, you can't say that that's something the author, you have no idea how, where the author is going to be on that. Um, so going to go with C over B in that case. <sighs> okay. All right. This passage is destroying me. Yeah. All right. 17. So what, what is the function of the question posed at the beginning of paragraph one? Which is, what is the point of history? A. To engage the reader with a relatable hook that links the points made later in the passage. B. To express the author's skepticism regarding history as an intellectual endeavor. C. To introduce the question that the passage is intended to answer. D. To criticize how history is taught in the modern curriculum. Um, so... A is interesting, right? To engage the reader with a relatable hook that links the points made later in the passage. And I think that seems too easy, right? We all know that things should start off with a hook. And yeah, obviously the rest of the passage kind of points to what history is. It seems like a trap answer. That's like, oh, that's too easy. So I'm going to be hesitant to pick that one. To express the author's skepticism regarding history as an intellectual endeavor. That's interesting, right? Again, I, I want to pick that one because the author did. He pointed out a bunch of different views of what history is and then really said at the end of the day, it really should be shaped by our own values. Um, but I don't know if we can read into the author's skepticism that early on. So I'm going to hesitate on B as well. Oh. C, to introduce the question that the passage is intended to answer, I think is super straightforward, right? Definitely, that's that's potentially uh, what it is. But again, seems like too easy, like A. And then D, to criticize how history is taught in the modern curriculum, uh, that doesn't really come up um, uh, anywhere. So uh, I'm between, uh, A, B, and C all could potentially be good. I'm going to go with, with C just because that seems like the least trappy answer. Yeah. Well, the trick is they mention they like refer back to that question in the very last sentence of the passage, right? Where they, they say this may not answer our original question at the point of history, but it certainly casts a question in a different light, yep. kind of showing us that the author never answers this question. Yeah. Um, but is bringing this up. And so that's why I would eliminate C as an answer choice. Darn it. Because the passage isn't intending to answer this question. This in the last sentence it says like, eh, we haven't answered it, whatever. Um, and so that obviously wasn't the point. <laughs> Fine. So A? Yeah, so it is A. <sighs> to just give this kind of relatable hook. Yeah. All and right. so the author says that there's lots of different ways to like view history and like how we put history together. And so people might say like, oh, that means you should be skeptical about what you're hearing because there's some motives going underneath that. But like the author never addresses that. That's like your own kind of viewpoint yeah. of like, oh, there's lots of ways like people can use this as like propaganda and things like that. But um, 
So if that didn't occur to you, great, you're an optimist. Um, but a lot of students are going to want to pick B because they're like, oh, this means like all these people could present it in different ways. You have to be skeptical. But that's not a viewpoint that the author gives. Yep. And so A is the correct answer there. All right. The one that I was like, that's too easy. It's always that yeah. one. <laughs> all right. Question 18. A Whig historian would be likely to present George Washington's role in American history as... Oh, great. <laughs> a, only a minor importance, given the importance of macro-level geographic, social, and economic factors in shaping the American Revolution and its aftermath. B, a personally charismatic leader who made unique contributions to the cause of American independence. C, a representative of the class interests of landowners in a turbulent period of political transition. Or D, exemplifying a pioneering approach to leadership that would lay the foundations for a new conception of the president as an executive with limited power. All right, so I'm going to go back to that last paragraph where it talks about the Whigs. And it says here, presenting history as a rational progression towards a more enlightened state dates at least back to the Whig historians of 18th century England who deployed such arguments against political foes historical history as a rational progression towards a more enlightened state. So I'm going to use that thought process to go through this. Um, man. So answer choice A, only of a minor importance given the importance of macro level geographic, social and economic factors. I'm going to cross that out. It was later on where they talked about um, the geography and, and that importance or actually earlier on with Ferdinand, Fernand um, Braudel. Um, so I'm going to cross that one out. Be a personally charismatic leader who made unique contributions to the cause of American independence. So to me, that one's interesting because that seems like a more enlightened state, right? American independence. So that potentially is interesting. See representative of the class interests of landowners in a turbulent period of political transition. So this one's again interesting because the that last part of the the discussion was the political foes. And so it's like, ooh, political transition, political foes. That must that must make C the answer. But I think that's a trap, but we'll see. D, exemplifying a pioneering approach to leadership that would lay the foundations of, for a new conception of the president as an executive with limited power. So this pioneering approach to leadership, that to me exemplifies progression towards a more enlightened state more than this charismatic charismatic leader uh, for American independence. So I'm going to go with D here as the, the most right answer. Yeah, absolutely. Like when they talk about the Whigs, they're, they're all focused on this like progress. And so like the pioneering approach laid the foundations for something coming forward um, definitely fits. Um, some of the previous like viewpoints, I think it was Gibbon had some, some look on like the personality of like everyday men and women and like, so this like charismatic leader, I feel like that seems like more on like character of people going through this, which isn't like the wig viewpoint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So I think that's it for that passage. Kind of a, a tricky, very dry passage, right? Um, lots yeah. of details and that sort of stuff. Those are generally passages that I tend to struggle a little bit with 
personally, things that are kind of boring uh, history and uh, economics, like those sorts of things to me are less interesting. Just that's a personal thing. I know a lot of students like it, but you have to, I, I think it's really useful as you're reading the passage to have objectives. Like I'm trying to find the different viewpoints. I'm trying to find certain things because that makes it more of a game as you're reading the the passage. And so you're interested in like trying to find all the things. It doesn't really matter what it is that you're reading. You're still engaged into this. Um, there's that you're kind of like fighting against this nature of like human beings where we, we hate being bored and we hate not having stuff um, to like interesting. And so if you are reading a, a passage and it seems boring to you, your brain will just kind of shut off. And that's when everyone kind of glazes over and they aren't paying attention. And that's a battle that everyone fights. Yep. And so if you can kind of twist that around where you're looking for certain things, you're hunting for those things, all of a sudden that becomes the game and that becomes much more interesting. And that helps you stay engaged um, and not gloss over, even if you're, you know, three hours in to, you know, a long exam and you're being very active uh, mentally, you can still stay engaged with the, those kind of techniques. Yeah. So make it a where's Waldo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a word search and you're like hunting for these things and then you find it, you feel good, you get that dopamine rush and it's like, yeah, I'm winning, um, which makes everything more fun. All right, so there you have it. Again, another great breakdown for you of the car section, a section that hurts a lot of students and something, especially especially a lot of ESL students. So hopefully this was helpful for you if you're looking for some more great information on how to improve on your MCAT. Go check out all of the amazing free resources that Blueprint Prep has to offer. Again, at blueprintprep.com. Have a great week and don't forget to subscribe to get all of these episodes for free every single week right to your phone, iPad, tablet, wherever you are listening to podcasts. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.